we a scrappy little podcast from out of nowhere so on the ball compared to like these bigger i spent a lot of time talking with people who were like uh hey i want to start a podcast can you tell me about like what what makes sure you know <laughs> and my advice to everyone is either do the most low-end thing you can or don't do it there's a lot of moving parts that go into it recorded in our nerd haven studios this is pop medieval with your host dr richard scott noakes and nina mack discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis now back to your podcast what doc what nina so our friends over at medievalist.net linked to a very interesting article about a very interesting and almost controversial map the vinland map being declared not just a forgery but a fake and i wanted to talk about that in this episode because this is a map that is fraught with baggage and i wanted to hear your opinion yeah the vinland map has been around for oh i guess it's been a topic of conversation for over half a century now Either half a century or several centuries, depending yes. on how you want to look at it. But I guess really just half a century. Just, um, just half a century. <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about this map and the subject of fakes and forgeries. First of all, what is the Vinland map? Let's, let's educate our listeners. So the Vinland map is a map that appeared, I'll use that word, appeared in the 20th century uh, that is mm -hmm. supposed to be a map that shows Greenland or Vinland, uh, and it should, it's supposed to be a, a Viking map. And because of the dates that are ascribed to it, it basically would show that the Vikings beat Christopher Columbus to the Americas uh, by half a century. Right. So this was kind of like, this was like the trivia question that we all got stumped on or like some jackass in high school would ask us, who discovered America? And your response was supposed to be Christopher Columbus. And then they, they would retort, no, it was the Vikings. Yes. And that was supposed to be their gotcha question, you know? Yes. And to be honest, at the time, there was a lot more controversy over the idea that Vikings could have gotten here uh, to the Americas first. At this point, though, like in 2021, we've got enough archaeological history, not only to know that they were in Greenland, but they actually made it to elsewhere in Canada. Uh, so we don't actually need the Vinland map. But at the time, it was pretty controversial, both because it was a pretty amazing find, and mm -hmm. there were a lot of Italians who weren't very fond of the idea that they weren't the first ones to come to the New World from, from Europe. Right. It was controversial. Now, from the very beginning, some things about the provenance of this thing. And, uh, you, you know, I, I know the article and some other things have details about that. But the, the provenance of this this map was really sketchy. So, Nina, what do you know about about where it came from? My understanding is that this book dealer named Lawrence Witten II was rooting around in this... Um, book dealers wares in Geneva, Switzerland in the late 1950s, around 1957. He finds this map along with another book. The book is called Tartar Relation. And that's that's less important in, in this story, but the, the map itself is, is what we're focusing on here. The map is made of vellum, which is animal skin, like mm -hmm. calf skin or cow skin, something like that, which sounds creepy, but that's that's what maps were made of back in this period. Mm -hmm. The book dealer himself got it off of a man named 
Enzo Ferrajoli, and uh, this guy was a former Italian officer. Former Italian officers in 1957, that should probably set off a few bells, maybe, <laughs> who, after this particular time period, was uh, running things. He was picking up antique books and maps and all of that and selling them for a profit. And he sells it to this book dealer, and it somehow winds up in Witten's hands. And Witten pays a lot of money for this map because he looks at it and he realizes, oh, this is a new map. This is a new discovery. And uh, I, I should probably pass it off to my colleagues and my friends at Yale University. So he brings it back to the United States to look over it. And everyone at Yale says, well, yeah, this looks interesting, but we can't really verify that it's real or not. And one of the things that sets them off are the wormholes in the map itself. It does not match up to the book called Tartar Relation, which is what it was sold with. Um, and the reason being is if the map went along with the book, shouldn't the wormholes match up? This is a common thing with medieval manuscripts. Like sometimes yeah. they would be literally chewed by bookworms because they're made of yeah. leather, basically. A vellum is what this really is a kind of thin leather. Thin scrape leather. Mm -hmm. Also, sometimes when they would stretch the skins out, something was maybe just a little bug bite that you couldn't see on the original one. Is it turns out to be a big hole by the time they're done with it. So it's very common for real medieval manuscripts to have all kinds of blemishes in them. Those kinds of blemishes, those imperfections, are one of the things that allows us to to find out really interesting things about manuscripts. Like, are they is this a legitimate manuscript or is it not? Right, exactly. So long story short, the Book's Tartar, Re Tartar Relation, I keep wanting to say Tartar Revelation, but Tartar <laughs> Relation has a mate that is also discovered along with a, a Yale colleague of uh, Witten's. And that book is called Speculum Historale. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't speak Latin, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Um, Speculum Historale has the same wormholes as Tartar Relation, meaning mm -hmm. they go together. They were created at the same time, which they traced back to around the 1400s around the italian renaissance mm -hmm. I, I believe that's the age the map itself again the wormholes don't match up with speculum historale however scholars from yale university still vouch for its historicity its uh its claims of authenticity so they truly believe that this map is real and that it's it's not a forgery and that it somehow is a, a true and historically accurate map of Vikings traveling around uh, the world. That comes to comes to a head in 1961 when Farah is arrested for stealing maps and books from the Catholic Church. That becomes a problem because if you can't vouch for the origin of your source material, how can you vouch for its historical accuracy? Now, I, I do have to say that at this point, this actually creates a path of opportunity to say uh, that it's a, a real manuscript because one of the th they knew already knew that the origin was very sketchy. And one of the theories sure. was that it was a forgery. But the other theory was that, well, maybe it's stolen. That's the problem. Well, ironically, the fact that this guy stole maps then turns out to be evidence on the side of, well, maybe this is a real medieval map. And everything's sketchy because he stole it. 
Sure. The evidence against that, ironically, is that it's not among the maps that are known to be stolen. Yeah. Uh, and so what you might think of at first glance as being the exculpatory evidence is, in fact, the damning evidence. And the evidence that you think might be the, the damning evidence is maybe evidence on behalf of the manuscript. So, I, yeah, I can see how that would happen. Everyone, all the world's leading cartographers and historians go to bat for this map. They put their reputations on the line because they truly believe that this is a new historical artifact, that the Vikings did, in fact, discover North America before Christopher Columbus. And like you said earlier, that kind of sets the world on fire a little bit. The Italian-American community especially, they don't like this new bit of news. However, in 1974, a... Research facility called Macron and Associates, they do the first microscopy of carbon dating on the manuscript, and they come up with some interesting results on this map. And they determine that the ink on the paper is only a few decades old. The ink on the map was consistent with ink available commercially in 1920, and it is not medieval ink, which means that someone took medieval paper and drew on top of it in 1920 or around 1920 you know sometime after 1920 and of course that changes everything that says that this is not an actual medieval map this is a forgery or this is a fake but then again in 1985 a research facility out of uc davis does uh, some x-ray technician or x-ray tech they examine the map and determine no the ink is actually a little bit older or we've done some more analysis and we picked out 20 other trace elements and the map could still be older. The Macron report doesn't really have much consistency. So that makes the map a little bit older or at least that casts some doubt on the original carbon dating report. And then here we are in 2021, which tells us what? Okay, so... We've thought for a while now that this was a forgery. And I want to distinguish yeah. between two different kinds of things. One is a fake and one is a forgery. And the distinction between those might seem like a minute distinction, but it isn't. The idea of a forgery is that you're trying to trick people into thinking the, the manuscript is something that it isn't. The case of a fake... You're trying right. to present something as something that it's not, but you're not trying to trick them. So, so in the Middle Ages, there were lots of both fakes and forgeries during the Middle Ages that were made at that time. So let me give an example of what you might think of as a forgery. So let's say that uh, I am having a conflict with someone uh, over a particular uh, manuscript or sorry, over a particular piece of land or, or something like this. Uh, and I happen to find an old charter uh, that's 100 years mm -hmm. old uh, that uh, gives the rights of this land to me and my family or to this monastery or whatever the whatever the situation is. Especially from the 10th to the 12th century, there's a lot of forgeries where people are doing that kind of thing, where medieval people are faking medieval documents or forging medieval documents to trick people mm -hmm. in their time. Now, interestingly enough, today... A forgery from the Middle Ages is a valuable document because it's still a medieval. <laughs> oh, really? It's still a medieval document. 
Uh, if you oh see what God. I mean, right? So it's still yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, if they made it in the in the eleventh century, it's still an eleventh century document. It's just the details on it happen to be a bunch of lies, right? I see. Okay. Yeah. So it's still it's still a legit from from a modern perspective. It is a forgery from the Middle Ages. Now, something different is what we would consider fake. And fake mm-hmm. is not intended necessarily to trick someone. A fake document might be, let's say that I, ha- I have a charter or I have something, uh, a document that's a real document, but the document is getting old and maybe it got damaged by water or maybe it's just getting less and less legible or maybe a page gets torn out or something along those lines happens to it. So one thing that we I might do is simply... We don't have printing presses in these days, right? So what I might do is just recopy the page down or copy it down clearer and put it in there. And I don't want to interrupt what the page will look like. So I'm going to try to do it in the style that it was in. I'm going to try to make it look the same. Okay. The goal here in that case is not to trick the people into thinking it. It's rather to simply replace something that's messed up. And so I think a good analogy of this would be, you know, let's say that we're reconstructing a dinosaur skeleton for a museum, but we only have, you know, a quarter of the bones of this dinosaur. Exactly. And then yeah. three quarters of those are fake bones that we have made. The point of that is not to trick you. The point of that is to give you a a clear image of what the dinosaur looks like. And so during the Middle Ages, we have people making that kind of what we might consider fake. There's also an additional category. They're sometimes called pious forgeries. And the idea of pious forgeries, yes, well, the idea of pious forgeries is, let's say that that we have this monastic land and, and it belongs to us and has for centuries and we all know it has. So there's no conflict over it. I'm not trying to get something that I don't already have. But we actually don't have the documents uh, that mm-hmm. we just have maybe something that maybe the document existed and it's lost now, giving us the rights to this land. Or maybe the document never existed. We just have it kind of orally transmitted and we're like, well, let's put it down and we'll forge it like it is a something that existed before. And those are forgeries, surely, but there's not something in conflict. It's like going back and creating the the origin story uh, for something. So we have both fakes and forgeries in the Middle Ages. Then, of course, we get in the modern era, we end up with forgers who are trying less so to say, like, my family owns this land because we owned it a thousand years ago, but more of saying, yeah. hey, Although, ironically, that might be what we have here with the Vinland manuscript, something Uh, like that. (laughs) Uh, Instead saying, hey, uh, sorry, here's a manuscript. Uh, It's really old. Therefore, it's worth money. Therefore, buy it. So, for example, probably the most famous forger of medieval, modern forger of medieval manuscripts is someone who did such a good job. We don't know this person's name. We call them the Spanish forger. We don't know if they're actually Spanish. Spanish or if they there's some evidence they might have been French they (laughs) forged a whole lot of little miniature pictures and apparently sold them for some money Uh, and I think it was somewhere in the range of 200 I think have been identified Mm -hmm. from the Spanish forger so so we're we're talking about forgeries we actually have all these different categories of forgeries Uh, and then of course we could also have modern fakes where someone is creating something uh, I'll not name the manuscript because I don't know if it's supposed to be public knowledge, but uh, there is one manuscript on display at a museum uh, that I happen to know from another scholar. It's under like glass and everything, so you can't get close to it. That's not the real manuscript. Uh, in the same way, 
I think you and I had the conversation about how dinosaur skeletons in museums, yeah. the ones on display aren't the yeah. actual bones. Uh, much no. the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I remember being about 10 years old when I learned that, and I was heartbroken to find out that they're not complete skeletons, number one, and number two, they're, they're not actual dinosaur bones on display. And a good museum will tell you that they'll have signs out that will say, no, these are not the actual bones. These are casts. These are die cast skeletons. And our actual bones are in a research facility or they're behind these doors. You know, of course, they're not going to be out. They're exposed to the elements. They're exposed to hands. They could break. They could fall and all sorts of things. Yes. And and they're for good reasons. Yeah. So replicas, Mm -hmm. we would consider fakes, right? It's a replica. It's not meant to trick you. It's just a fake. So this most recent research has gotten even deeper into the ink and it's the final nail in the coffin. We have suspected for a long time, uh, basically as long as you and I have been alive, we've been pretty sure the Vinland manuscript was fake, was a hoax, not just fake, was a hoax. And the important difference in this is the vellum is from, you know, the early modern, late middle ages, really. Uh, The vellum's from the late middle ages, the parchment itself. But that doesn't mean anything because let's take the Spanish forger the spanish forger stuff is all on medieval parchment Mm -hmm. the way they got it is sometimes there's just old parchment that you can you can still buy it today Um, we often think of trafficking in parts of medieval manuscripts where people would sneak in like blades and they uh, they cut out beautiful images or beautiful pages to sell Uh, however in this case you might cut out the blank fly leaves at the end of a page or at the end of a book that no one's gonna miss Uh, And then it will be on legitimate medieval parchment. So sometimes people say like, well, once you can identify when the parchment was, look, if we know the parchment is, uh, you know, from 1807, then we know it wasn't medieval for sure. But just because the parchment is medieval doesn't really tell us whether the thing itself is medieval. And so I want to read a little something to you here. And this is, this is from Introduction to Manuscript Studies uh, from 2007. This is 2007. I'm going to read this little thing to you. Okay. And skipping along, it's talking about problematic cases. Among these, none is better known than the Vinland map MS350A in the Benecki Rare Book and Manuscript Library of Yale University. And they go through a lot of the stuff that you're talking about here. And they throw a lot of doubt on it. And then they say, ultimately, the furor over the Vinland map may be resolved not by advanced technological analysis, but through more rigorous examination of some problematic paleographical and linguistic inconsistencies in its inscriptions. And the irony of that, yes, the irony of that is that that, one of the writers is Raymond Clemens, who is the guy who did not use this advanced paleographic analysis, but instead used the advanced technology to finally put the stake in the heart of the Vinland map. Yes, he's mentioned in the medievalist.net article yes. that was link- that they linked to. Yeah. Yeah, so in 2007 wow. he actually doubted that the very same technology <laughs> that you know a decade plus later he was going to he was going to lead the team in uh, in using to finally prove once and for all what we were pretty sure about by this century that the Vinland map was not just fake but was a hoax. I'd like to point out to you I but- bet he had no idea. Well, I'm sure in 2007, I doubt he knew he was going to be doing this work. (laughs) 
I'd like to point out that the other author of this book, so I don't know who wrote that exact paragraph. It may not have been him. Mm-hmm. Is Timothy Graham. Oh. Yes, Timothy Dr. Graham. Graham. Yes. So uh, just this month, uh, Witam Publishing has published Elizabeth Elstob's Anglo-Saxon Homily on the Birthday of St. Gregory. I'm not a forgery. Gotta get a plug in. Yes. Nope. Edited by <laughs> Timothy Graham. So we have yes. uh, all the worlds come together in the Vinland Manuscript to basically show that this, this thing is not only not real, it's not even a medieval forgery. It's a modern forgery trying to pass itself off as something medieval. This is a wonderful confluence of events here. Yes. So I want to talk about one of my favorite medieval possible forgeries, and that is the Voynich Manuscript. Ah, uh, yes. The famous Voynich Manuscript. And before right, you get second. into this, I want to say that if the listeners have never seen the Voynich Manuscript. It's very interesting looking. You can get online and see all sorts of interesting images from it. It is very interesting. Be prepared to be creeped out at first because it is a creepy old book (laughs) with some naked people drawn in it. Read about the history and then you'll be like, oh God, this book. Uh, So in 1912, again, this is another one of those old book dealer happens upon a Creepy old book stories. Uh, in 1912, an antique book dealer named Wilfred Voynich. And again, that's a Polish last name, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that is the anglicized pronunciation of it. He happens upon a mysterious creepy old book. In it is a very old inscription, and I don't have the inscription in front of me, but it's basically, here's an old book with unreadable text that no one can figure out. Uh, I've been told it's been owned by holy Roman emperors, kings, scholars, and noblemen alike, and they can't figure it out. Hope you can take care of it for me, and God bless. That's what the inscription says. Mm -hmm. The book appears to be hundreds of years old, uh, and it's written in indecipherable text. Think of a book filled with Zodiac Killer letters in fancy fonts. Yeah. That's really what it It's like, like someone wrote in Wingdings or something a, a century. Yeah. Or, or really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's also got lots of colorful doodles, drawings, and sketches of plants, animals, and people. I think there are some star charts in there, too. Uh, it's really weird. And then Voynich would spend the next uh, upwards of about 20 years trying to get academics interested in deciphering the manuscript to no avail. Again, nobody wants your creepy old book, Wilfred. That's that's what it comes down to. Now, I would say I would say one reason no one wants it is you look at this thing and you think this can't be real. This has got to be fake. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's about 260 pages long. So it's a good mm-hmm. thick book. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just it's full of nonsense. It looks like a bunch of nonsense. And when he died in 1960, his wife inherited the book and then gave it to a friend who gave it to another scholar who sold it to another antique book dealer named Hans Krauss in 1969. Nice. Krauss tried to get someone to buy the book, but no one was interested. Again, nobody wants your creepy old book, Hans. So he donated it to Yale University. Yale comes up again in this uh, story. Mm -hmm. Yale put it in their Beneke rare book and manuscript library, which is where the Vinland map would be, where it finally got the attention it deserved, question mark? Probably. So the facts about the Voynich manuscript, uh, again, it's printed on vellum, which is, again, that animal skin, and that was radiocarbon dated to about the early 15th century. Same thing with the ink. The ink is also about that old. They The Macron Associates Company did the same carbon dating or that did the same carbon dating for the Vinland map also did the same carbon dating for 
the Voynich manuscript, and they concluded the same thing that, yeah, the ink and the paints and the vellum, they were all old, but that did not necessarily mean that they were used at the same time, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So just because you have the materials from the same era, that doesn't mean that they were created at the same time. Mm -hmm. This book is absolutely ridiculous looking. I think there is a, there's like a, a bunch of sketches. Like I, I keep saying, there's one sketch where it looks like it's a, a bunch of naked women in a bowl of pea soup. Mm -hmm. Lots of different plants, I think. Again, you know, no one could draw during this time. <laughs> it, it looks, you know, if... Hieronymus Boss uh, was taking drawing lessons. That, that's that's what it looks like to me. You said wingdings. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Very flat. Once the creepiness kind of wears off, you're just thinking this is kind of a, a ridiculous book. Nothing really stands out to me as being useful. Mm -hmm. You know, academics, majority of academics that I've, when I was doing research into this, uh, which... You know, it's been a while since I, I, I went through my Voynich manuscript obsession. But the majority of academics that look through this say this is kind of bunk, but we just can't figure out how else to prove it. What flavor of bunk it is? Yeah, like conspiracy theorists say, oh, no, no, this is a cipher. This is just written in something unintelligible. We just can't figure it out yet. Other people have said it's nonsense. Um, so there are some conflicting theories and hypotheses going back and forth. I would like to know what your theory is, Doc, before I give you mine. And yours being the academic side, mine being the uh, skeptical side. You got to remember, I'm the academic who, who's not a specialist in the Voyage manuscript. <laughs> so this is my... And I'm the skeptic that just thinks this is all BS, but go ahead. So I think that this is legitimately a document from the 15th century. Right. I think that is legitimately yeah. the case. Early okay. 15th century. And as I previously said, just having it written on pages from that time just tells you the forger knew what they were doing. Right. And I've how mm -hmm. so many successful forgeries, actually, they managed to get a hold of paper from the Middle Ages. And if you really know what you're doing, you can also, you know, make the inks that are hard to figure out uh, that they're not from that century. Now, the reason that most of those uh, late 19th, early 20th century forgeries we can figure out is in the 1920s, they're not thinking, oh, I'll bet they'll be able to analyze this ink in 100 years. And plus, if you're mm -hmm. trying to pull off a hoax to sell it, who cares if 100 years from now they figure out it's a hoax? Maybe even the better because exactly. you've already yeah. spent the cash and then it uh, doesn't mess with the historical timeline. And the truth is like, Normally, we don't need any of that science stuff uh, for this, to be honest, because normally there are all sorts of things about the way that things are written. So if we're doing any kind of study of the manuscript themselves, the physical object, you often are in a position where you might have to destroy a tiny bit of it. You might have to alter it in some way in order to study it. But most of the time we don't need that because... There will be a verb that's used in it that doesn't exist at that time. Uh, or there's a... Good point, yeah. Yes. There's a change in, in the verbiage uh, over time that we don't use. Like, no one would say... Um, no one would say internet. Right, yes, right. So, back in, in then. Right, yeah. so if we find something that... If we find something that's referring to the internet that is purported to be written, probably it would be something more subtle than that. It would be like uh, someone sure. talking about... Uh, you know, logging into something purported to be written in 1910. Well, you know, that's going to tell us it's probably not real mm -hmm. or referencing things. There are way better ways to validate or invalidate manuscripts 
than mm-hmm. than the the things that we normally think about of kind of CSIing them up, right? Yeah, those things don't work in this case because this is not. We don't know what the script is supposed to look like because it's written in this weird light. We don't know what it says. We don't know if there are verbs in there. We don't know what language it is. If it is a language, we know nothing. So all those normal methods that we would use don't work if we can't decipher the thing, or if we can't even be certain that it is a thing that is decipherable, because it could just be a whole bunch of nonsense. It could literally just Mm -hmm. be someone faking something up. But the reason that I am relatively confident that it comes from the 15th century, the early 15th century, is simply because of the size of the book. (laughs) Okay, If you, to come up with 260 pages, of unspoiled, you know, manuscript yeah. from four centuries earlier, I guess five centuries earlier in the 1920s, pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to come Good up point. with that, I guess you could do something like I'm going to make some sort of weird nonsense thing and try to pass it off. But you'd probably be better off if you're dishonest and you have this thing making something that is of more clear historic uh, importance that you could then then pass off. So I actually don't yeah. think it's a modern hoax. Now, saying it's not a modern hoax doesn't say anything about what someone was doing back in the 15th century uh, when they did this or mm-hmm. 16th century or whenever this was put together. Because unless we can decipher some part of it, there's very little we can do to put our finger on it. And there have been a lot of theories and some good. The problem is... That when you look at the theories, they're really, really powerful for about 20% of the time. And then when you start Mm -hmm. digging deeper, it doesn't get us any further. So the truth is, we could literally, and it sounds like like I'm being funny, but I'm not. We could literally be looking at an ancient ancestor of Dungeons and Dragons. And this is the Fiend Folio, (laughs) or this is the Monster Manual. Uh, This is something for a game, or this is something that someone was playing around at. It would be a little weird to have a book of that length, that expense, uh, because it would be very expensive to put this book together, be very expensive for the artistry. Or it could have just been a scribe who decided he was going to have his own fun and make this thing. Uh, It could be his dream journal that he's put in his own weird, you know, uh, his own language. But my strong suspicion, given the length of the book and the improbability of coming up with that much sheer amount of parchment that you need to come up with unspoiled like that, I think it has to come from True. the 15th century. I wouldn't call it a forgery for sure then because I don't know what they'd be forging. I don't know what they're trying to fake, right? But uh, it is just a weird thing from that time. And I actually disagree. I think... Right now, it's of no value. But if we can ever figure out exactly what it says or exactly what it is, at the very least, if it just turns out to be someone's weird dream journal or something, that tells us something really interesting about that time. But right now, we don't even have that much information, so it doesn't mean much of anything at the moment. So what's your theory about it? Well, I can't tell you what it says, but I can tell you what it is. And I fully agree that with you about uh, it being from the early 15th century. Yes, I agree with that for the reasons that you said, because if someone in the 1900s decided to sit down and write uh, 250 odd pages of this (laughs) for hours and hours, maybe days and days and weeks with a quill, which from the McCrone report, this was all written in quill, Mm -hmm. which if you've ever tried to write something in quill, it is a pain in the ass. 
and and the fingers. Yes, and the fi- <laughs> my theory is that this is someone's homework. <laughs> I can tell you, I, even in the classes that I loved, if my mind wandered just a little bit, I started doodling. I started doodling just a tiny, tiny bit, and they became weird pictures. They, you know, they weren't this weird or anything like that. But I, I had to just let my mind wander a little bit, and I, they, I started drawing in the corners. I, I had little people. I had faces, maybe a flower or a house here and there, and that's what it became. So someone was drawing in their homework, and that's what this is. This is someone's notebook. This is someone's homework assignment that they were writing along, and they started drawing pictures in. You know, before the, the listeners laugh at this idea... Just want to point out that it's super common in medieval manuscripts to find mm-hmm. doodles. Uh, yeah. You know, absurd doodles, funny doodles, obscene doodles, stupid looking doodles. Mm-hmm. Doodles mm-hmm. that someone mm-hmm. clearly worked on for some time uh, because... People th- pooping in the corners. There is proof of this. <laughs> yes. People pooping in the corners. I will find this. I yes. believe we have I, a I previous... Have we have a previous uh, episode yep. about the penis tree, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... These kinds of things happened all the time. I'm not aware of a full book length doodles, but that definitely could be a thing. If someone says, how dare you? That's not possible. My answer to that is, well, then come up with a better explanation. Exactly. So scholars haven't. And some people do think it's a hoax. It's a kind of like weird. It looks like a hoax to me. The problem is that that's a lot of pages to have by the time you get to the, you know, 1900s. So uh, yeah. 19th century. It doesn't matter. It's a lot to get to the modern era, have that many pages. 20th century. Yeah, unspoiled. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot. So. so I'm going to declare that genuine, but weird. Genuine, but weird. I say it's a bunch of nonsense homework that, that no one should worry about. Yes. That's what I think. If ever someone comes up with a real breakthrough, let's return to this because that'll tell us something new and interesting and weird about the Middle Ages. I agree. So let's get on to some recommendations. Okay, great. So the recommendation that I have is this fantastic book. It's called On the Map, A Mind-Expanding Exploration of the Way the World Looks by Simon Garfield. This is a fantastic book, and it is what I relied on for my information about the Vinland map. Uh, which is in chapter five, if anyone picks this up. It's a really good, it's a lengthy book, but it is absolutely fascinating. And it talks about how the world was put together via maps, not just uh, cartography maps, but really internet maps too. That's included in there as well. So pick it up at a bookstore or online or wherever you can. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, great. And my recommendation is another podcast, Uh, not ours. Uh, My recommendation is an episode of the medieval podcast. You know, you saw that on medievalist.net and medievalist.net has Mm -hmm. a a whole lot of wonderful materials over there. If you are a listener to pop medieval, you probably would like medievalist.net and you probably would like Danielle Sabalski's podcast, the medieval podcast. And I want to recommend one particular episode of that. And it's called forgeries in the middle ages. The guest there is Levi Roach, uh, someone who knows more about medieval forgeries than I ever will, uh, unless I really, really change the direction of my research. Uh, and he gets into less about modern forgeries of the middle of the middle ages, like the Vinland map and more about like why people were doing forgeries in the middle ages, how that works, how we figure, figure it out. It's really fascinating. And, uh, both, uh, Danielle and Levi are very engaging personalities. And so we'll have the exact link in the show notes. But I would recommend that people don't go to the show notes to get on that link. Instead, you just subscribe to the Medieval Podcast 
from Medievalist.net, and you will not regret that. Indeed. And I'm also going to link to the article on Medievalist.net about the Vinland map forgery as well. Okay, great. All right. Well, anything more for the good of the cause, Nina? Yep, I'm going to leave us all with some advice. If you're going to forge any medieval maps, make sure your wormholes line up. This is important both for medieval maps and also for astronomical maps. You have to make sure the wormholes in space line up. Because that was what uh, ultimately undid the Vinland map. Undone by wormholes. <laughs> West through hall, Nina. West through hall, Doc. Pop Medieval was recorded under him. Hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. He should have quoted Highlander. You know, what kind of scholar sure doesn't quote Highlander? Mm-hmm.